0: Bruce bought a beautiful piece of land that was right along the Pacific Ocean. They bought it in 1912, and it's hard to imagine that there was a time that there was affordable property along the Pacific Ocean in Southern California. Willa and Charles, they had traveled from the South. They had been part of what our American history would call the Great Migration, when black and brown people left the Southern states and moved following the rail lines out to California, Chicago, Detroit, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Philadelphia, New York, and many other places. They gathered up what they could, and they left. They got to California. They got to L.A. They got to this beautiful little community called Manhattan Beach, and they found beachfront property, and they bought it. And almost immediately, they started to build on that land. They built a a dance hall. Then they built a spot where people could change out of their regular clothes and and get into their swim clothes so they could dive straight into the water. They had a lodge for people to spend the night. They had a restaurant for people to eat. The place was hopping Will and Charles Bruce, who were black people from the South, they set aside this resort to be an intentional space for black and brown people to find respite, to find rest and peace. So folks would drive from all over California, hop in their cars, drive to what had become known as Bruce Beach, and they would gather and hang out and spend their money and, and spend their time and have parties, and it was so thriving. It was so successful that the Bruce family then bought another piece of land right next to it and expanded their entire resort. And then Manhattan Beach rose up because Manhattan Beach was primarily primarily white people. And they were becoming very uncomfortable with all these black and brown people moving into their community and hanging out in their community and starting to buy land around their community and build homes in their community. And so first it was the Ku Klux Klan, who seems to be omnipresent in our country, But they were unsuccessful at kicking people off their lands and kicking the Bruce family out. So then the realtors organized. They became something of a union and they went to the Manhattan Beach City Council. And they made a desperate plea saying that Manhattan Beach needed a city park. Manhattan Beach didn't have anything like that. We need a park. We need a place that, you know, it's going to improve our EAVs. It's going to make the place more attractive. More people will move in. We can sell more land and our community will grow. I'm willing to bet that the argument wasn't that hard to make in Manhattan Beach to the City Council in 1924 condemned Bruce Beach. They declared eminent domain, they claimed the land, they gave a pittance of money, you know, pennies on the dollar to the Bruce family and kicked them off. The Bruce family fought, but in 1927 they were ultimately kicked off the land. And as soon as they were kicked off, the bulldozers came and raised everything. Now, we remind ourselves, the argument was that Manhattan Beach, the community, needed a city park. But there was never a park. Nothing was built on that land again until the 1950s, long after the Bruce family was gone. Now, over time, this land became the possession from Manhattan Beach City Park to the state, to this, to that, and then eventually landed in the hands of the L.A. County Board of Supervisors at something like our Oval County Commissioners. And they were looking through the records and they were looking through their land holdings and they realized this one had been stolen from this family. So in the 20-teens, they started the process and of course, land has all sorts of red tape, all sorts of legality. It took the Board of Supervisors years. But in July of 2022, they were able to gather the the remains of the Bruce family together, and they handed them a deed to the property. They gave the land back. And they gave the land back with an agreement that they would pay rental property values for that land, and at any time the Bruce family could sell that land back to Manhattan Beach for its assessed value. By the way, Manhattan Beach at this point is 1% black and brown, 99% white, and it is one of the wealthiest communities in California. So this is a disappointing story, it's a sad story, it's part of our history, but it also kind of has that great triumphant ending, that, that movie-ish ending that we want to hear, that, that claims were restored, and justice was brought, and righteousness was known, and the Bruce family got to have their land back. We also know our history. Thousands, millions of people, taken from their lands, kicked off land, told that they cannot live in certain parts of our country, certain parts of our communities. And then we come to Leviticus 25. God finds the Israelites. God finds you and me. And God's asking lots of questions in this particular text. But one of the questions that God is asking is, what do we value? Now, of course, we, like the Israelites, we're immediately going to answer, well, we value human life. We value our neighbors. We value our community. We value our family, the people who we live with. We value life. Except that our history tells different. Our history tells us that we, and the Israelites do this too, this is across human life, we value land. We want land. We want to be able to stand on land. We want to be able to buy land. We want to fight for land. We want to develop laws to protect the land that we claim is ours. We want to, at times, steal land. We want to kick people off land. We want to build borders around land. We want to say that this piece of property, even a small little scrap of land, we want to be able to say that it's ours except that based on scripture it may not be ours but we'll let that sit Leviticus 25 this particular chapter sometimes is called the year of jubilee because as we heard in our reading as Stan just read God is beginning to unfold this idea that is called jubilee every 50 years The Israelites, God's people, which means you and I as God's people, we are called on to redistribute the land. But we don't think about that too much. So let's back up even a little bit further to see where God is coming from. God starts where you and I started this season of holy rest. God starts with creation. That seventh day where God set that day apart. God created an entire day designed just for rest, just for peace. God doesn't design anything else. God doesn't grow or create or do anything on that day. God does nothing. And then God turns to humanity and says on that seventh day, do nothing. Now, of course, we may not be able to do nothing on an entire 24-hour period. It might be more like in, in fits and spurts throughout the week. But we are called on to find moments in our life, ideally an entire day, when we are at absolute rest. And then God leads the Israelites out of enslavement in Egypt, leads them across the Red Sea, takes Moses and Miriam and Aaron, by the way. And all three of them lead the Israelites and they're moving through the wilderness. God has set them free. God has liberated God's people and they get to Mount Sinai. And we remember that movie moment where Moses goes up on the mountain and gets those tablets, gets what we call the Ten Commandments. You can count them a whole bunch of different ways, by the way, but we call them the Ten Commandments. And on those Ten Commandments, the third one, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now God is taking that seventh day, that rest day, and God's taking it from an idea, a concept. Now God is making it a command. You will rest. You will know peace. Now for us, and maybe some of us here who work seven days a week, work multiple jobs, work multiple shifts, we can't seem to find our rest, that sounds like good news to us for the Israelites who had spent generations enslaved, where their lives were only as valuable as what they could produce for the people who held their life, otherwise they were destroyed. God is coming to them at the side of a mountain where God gives them rest and God tells them, you will rest. This day you will do nothing. You don't need to do anything. Your value and your worth is through God's presence we tend to forget about the rest. We tend to forget about God's promises. We forget how we can set aside time in our lives and sometimes knowing that with our employment status and with our economic status and and the way that we walk in the world as humans, there are times when we can't rest, but we have been given this call from God to rest. And then God takes it another step further because this seems to be what God does. God keeps stretching the boundaries. And here in Leviticus 25, by the way, the Israelites are still at Mount Sinai. They haven't left yet. That day where Moses goes up on the mountain is more than one day. God keeps pulling Moses back up and keeps writing on tablets. And now in Leviticus, God is telling Moses and Aaron and Miriam that this day of rest, it's not just about you and me. It is about all of creation. Every seven years, God tells us, we're supposed to let the land lie fallow. Do nothing, don't plow, don't plant, don't grow, don't raise, don't harvest. And all of this goes back to the Israelites who have been freed from slavery, who their entire lives was dependent on the lives of others, whether they lived or died. Their value was assessed by how the value was placed on them by others who saw whether they deserved to live or die. And God takes them to the wilderness and God feeds them. And God loves God's people and God cares for God's people. The Israelites have been at the base of the, of the mountain for a year. They have planted nothing. They are not farmers. They are not doing much more than maybe keeping track of the animals that they might have in their midst. But ultimately they are cared for by God. What God is trying to remind us over and over and we forget is that everything in our life comes from God. Everything in our life comes from God. Our land, our clothes, our food, our shelter, our health. It is all grace from God. And we tend to forget. So God is calling on God's people, knowing that the Israelites will forget, knowing that you and I will forget, and God writes it down. Every seven years, let the land sit. I will care for you. I will let you rest. I will give you peace. And every 50 years... We then redistribute the land. God knows that we will forget. God knows, and we see this throughout Scripture, we see this throughout our history. God's people forget. We forget. And when we find a piece of land, when we move on to a spot, when we start to develop ourselves, we then develop ways to to conjure debt between ourselves. We begin to start assessing value with each other. We begin to... Take and we begin to steal, we begin to destroy, we begin to dis- enslave. It's what we humans do. We forget and we believe and we convince ourselves that we are utterly dependent on what we can do and not what God can give us. The Israelites will forget. We forget. Even though we are taught, even in our own American history, so that we aren't supposed to forget. How even in this country we have enslaved people. How we have told people their value is based on the color of their skin or the economic status or the job that they hold or the place that they live in a community decided by the community by the way. We have 400 plus years of enslavement, black codes, Jim Crow laws, organized hate groups and basic disbursement of hate and dysfunction that runs through our community because we... We place value on land over value of God's people. Even this church where we sit, we forget that God provides this space. We forget that before the European immigrants got here, that God's people were moving in nomadic tribes and living in this settled area in the Rock River Valley. We forget that before us was the Ho-Chunk, the Kickapoo, the Fox, the Peoria, the Miami, the Ochiti, and the Sauk. All right, the sock we probably don't forget because we put their name all over our buildings and all over our land. We forget that God provides. We forget that God loves. We forget that God feeds, that God clothes, that God protects, that God heals. We forget that we are loved by God. We forget God. We place our value on the land over the people who dwell on that land. We forget then we continue to strive and we continue to persevere and we continue to push because we convince ourselves that we have to take care of ourselves. So this all, this challenges our culture and this challenges the way we think about the world and it challenges us to even imagine this idea that we would ever let land sit. We don't even have to be a farmer to, a, to imagine in the back of our minds how awkward that would feel to not produce, to not grow, to not Plowed to not raise, to simply be turning to God and to be fed and to be cared for and to be loved. Then see that as God is doing this with us, God is doing this with our neighbors. Our identity as humans—it happens to the Israelites. It happens to us. Our identity is built around progress and productivity and striving for shelter and clothes and all the things that God promises us. We believe we got to do it ourselves. We forget God's grace. But God will not forget. So God finds us this morning and speaks these ancient words to us again. God declares this promise of jubilee, this bizarre theological concept that we almost never talk about and yet takes a whole chapter out of Leviticus. This idea from God, this command from God, that every 50 years, We will live out God's promise of grace and we will redistribute the land because our value is in human life more than land. God will call on us to tear down the walls. God will call on us to cut up our fences, to destroy all the divides and barriers and ways that we separate out humanity, that we carve up and categorize each other. Every 50 years, we will once again see each other as people of God. We will see God in each other. We will be dependent fully on God. We will be absolutely free. God says this in this chapter. The enslaved will be free. Those who have been striving will be welcomed back. Those who have been kicked off the land will be invited to live again. Those who have been toiling and grinding and running and chasing after the fundamentals of life, you will rest. God promises you will rest. Our neighbors will rest. Our people bound up, racism, inequality, injustice, all the ways that we value each other, we will rest and you will eat, and you will sleep. You will know peace. We gather in this house, and we use that word all the time, peace. We know this peace. We know what it means to have rest. We know what it means to be cared for by God. God's helping us to imagine again an old, old promise that no longer are we going to have to patrol boundaries. No longer are we going to be expected to defend property that was never ours to keep. No longer will we be held by constraints and values and worth that we design. We will see each other as people of God. Jubilee is a restoration. It is God's kingdom. It is a repair of all the harms. It is a renewal of God's promises. It's a return of equity. Jubilee. It's liberation of the land. We are returning the land back to God. A liberation of us it is God declaring God is writing down in stone that God will not forget us because God does not forget God's promises we forget we go astray we do our own thing we destroy life God does not forget God continues to love God continues to pour grace upon grace God continues to center us back on God and God will call us together all God's people because from that very first story we remember again that you and I God's people we are designed by God to be free to be at rest to know peace Amen